Come on. <laughs> How many of you love Jesus? I'm going to let you be seated for a minute. Let me just say this. Today, you're a first-time guest. We're so glad you're here. In a little while, someone will welcome you and tell you how awesome it is to see you. But I must say this, and you need to understand about this church, is that we, when we get together, like to make our worship experience like a party. Because I believe that's what heaven's all about. We like to have fun here. So we're glad that you're here today. Let me say this to you before we get started. We, this morning, had a production meeting early this morning, and I decided today that I would actually forego some of the preliminaries. We actually usually have a video right here that kind of introduces the sermon. I wanted to just kind of bypass that because I wanted to be able to jump right into God's Word. Is that okay today? And that's what we're going to do anyway. Whether you like it or not. Let me say this about this word that I'm bringing to you today. I pride myself in not looking at a note. I get on stage, God has put it in my spirit, and, and I have read it and studied it. And, but today it's a little different, to be honest with you. I may have to grab a note and look at it on occasion because this is a work, a word I should say that has evolved over the course of the last 24 hours. In fact, it evolved so much that pretty much it changed all night long because literally I worked on it all night long. <laughs> Had it packaged up and ready yesterday afternoon late and then God did what he can do and began to change things. Sometimes that's to my frustration. But one thing that I know is that God knows the end from the beginning and he knows who's going to be here and he knows what you need better than I know what you need. And therefore, all I want to be is his mouthpiece and I want to get out of the way and let him do what he needs to do. With that being said, can I just ask you a question? How many of you want to experience the fullness of God in your life? How many of you want to be everything that God wants you to be? How many of you want to have everything that God wants you to have? That's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, today, we're beginning a brand new series called I Am Blank. Over the next several weeks, we're going to fill in the blank. We're going to talk about the identity that God wants you to have. You see, because so many of you have settled for a lesser identity than God predestined for you to have. And the reason for that is many reasons, actually. But, and we're going to talk about those. But we're going to talk about how to become all that God wants you to be and how to live the life that he wants you to live. What I want to do this morning is start off a little differently. And I want to take you to Ephesians chapter chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and also over to Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Hey, we can do a little better than that, can't we? 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Today will be a little easier if it's more interactive. Um, I won't feel so lonely up here. So if you hear something that God has spoken to you, just proclaim his goodness. All right? In fact, let's practice. Somebody give me an amen. amen. All right, that's pretty good. These two verses I'm just going to read with you, and then we're going to pause, and I'm going to kind of set the course, the direction for where we're going today. I want to say this. This is not your typical Easter message. However, the backdrop to this message is all about the, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's in the backdrop. It's looming large, and we're going to get to that in the end. But this is more about Jesus having died on the cross for you to establish a brand new identity for you that many of you are not walking in and you need to understand how to walk in that new identity. So let me read with you first uh, Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked. That word marked. Circle that word in your Bibles or or in your electronic mobile devices, highlight it. You were marked. That word actually means that you were given a new identity. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, I love this verse. It's so powerful. It's probably one of the most powerful verses in Scripture if you really understand the nuances of this verse. Verse 14 says, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Now, I want you to underline God's possession. Go ahead and do that. God's possession. Help me here. You are God's... I love this verse. You are God's... You are God's... On three. You are God's... One, two, three... Being God's possession is a promise. It's a declaration that there are things that I am able to access because of the fact that I am God's possession. There are incredible benefits. There are incredible things that are at my disposal because I am God's possession. Because I am God's possession, I can actually access joy when I need joy, peace when I need peace, help when I need help. Hope when I need hope. Encouragement when I need encouragement. Come on. You see, but the problem is many Christ followers have settled for a lesser existence. You're a Christ follower and it's not that you're living your life like hell. That's not the point. The point is many of you are not living the life that God wants you to live. He created for you a new identity, a new path for you to walk. And many of you are not walking that path. In fact, let me tell you this way. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. and I thought of the concept of identity theft. Many of you have identity theft occurring in your life. There are things that you've settled for that you shouldn't have ever settled for, that God never intended for you to settle for, and it's left you with some baggage in your life. Like, let me explain it this way. A year ago, almost to the day, Kim and I received a letter from the IRS. How many of you know when you receive a letter from the IRS, it's usually not good? 
just so happens, according to the letter, that we became apparent victims to identity theft. Someone had stolen my wife's social security number, secured a job under her social security number, and now her new identity was Miguel Santiago. Kid you not, that's what they said. The problem with Miguel Santiago is that he incurred some taxes that he did not pay to the tune of $3,500, and they say because that's Kim's social security number that she now owes it. We're fighting it even today. When I began to think about that process, I thought, you know, there are so many of us who are victims of identity theft. Maybe not to the tune of $3,500 to the IRS, but you are victims of identity and you're left with the baggage of broken marriages, broken relationships, broken finances, messed up lives, failures and mistakes that have stolen the very identity that God wanted you to have. In fact, the enemy uses your past and your failures and your mistakes and your wrong choices and your bad decisions. He uses those things to derail you, to steal from you your identity so that you will travel the road that God doesn't want you to travel. Some of you are in here today and you are listening to me and you are struggling with an identity crisis and you're like, I, I don't know who I am. In fact, one of the saddest things that I do as a pastor is not bury someone. In most cases, if I know, especially their Christ followers, I know that they have transitioned from this life to eternal, the home of heaven. But one of the saddest things that I do as a pastor is actually watch someone bury themselves alive. Meaning that they sit in my office and I counsel with them and they'll say things like, I am so lost. I am so confused. I am so helpless, I am so frustrated, I am so broke, I I, I am so discouraged, I, I am such a horrible parent, I am such a horrible father, I am such a horrible husband. You see, the deal is that little blank, I am, whatever we put in that blank generally determines the course of your life. How you see yourself determines where you place your feet. And some of you today, you're screaming out, where is God? Because I don't understand what's going on in my life. I can't get past this. I I don't understand why this business decision is working out this way. I am so lost, confused, and frustrated. Can I tell you something? I'm here today to proclaim to you the declaration of the Lord. And that is, you are God's possession. In fact, in your worship guides, go ahead and fill in the blank. I am God's possession. You see, being God's possession means that I can access God's gifts. I can access God's love. I can access God's forgiveness. I can access His joy. I can access His hope. I can access His second chances. How many of you know we need second chances? I can access the mulligans, if you will, of life because God will give me do-overs. You see, some of you do not see the value of your life. You don't even see yourself as valuable. But here's what's interesting about that word possession. In verse 14, you are God's possession. That word possession in the Greek, it actually means valuable. In other words, when Paul used it, he was saying that you are valuable. 
So in fact, right beside of possession in that blank, I want you to put in parentheses, I am valuable. Because you see, you are a valuable teacher. You're a valuable parent. You're a a valuable business person, a valuable soldier. You're a valuable mom, a valuable friend. Some of you need to understand the value of God and how when you give your life totally over to Him, every nook and every cranny, you access some incredible things and God begins to work on your behalf. In fact, when I began to study this word possession this week, I, I, I found out some things about it that were really cool. And I wrote down in my spiritual journal this thought, and I want to share it with you. The potential of my life is not based upon man-made labels. The potential of my life is based upon me being his possession. You see, my life has greater potential with Him than it does on my own. My life has greater potential when I see myself the way He wants me to see myself as opposed to creating this image that is not of God. I understand that this is kind of a unique thought on Easter, but but we'll tie it all in in the end. You see, God will go to work on your behalf And as His possession, He will do things for you that you cannot do for yourself. Can can I explain that thought this way? I was thinking about it this morning early, and how can I explain that? And then I thought about Hop in the Park. How many of you were at Hop in the Park? Can I get a woo? Can I get a woo? Crazy. It was crazy. It was absolutely just off the hook it was it was incredible but can I tell you something let me tell you how this thing kind of started out about eight weeks ago I met with a group of people from the city and I launched to them my idea my thought about how I thought this thing would come together and we began to say what we wanted to do and they were all like man that's really creative and then we said we're kind of expecting maybe five to seven thousand people and they started shaking their head like "Mm, nah and I said, well, we would like to have six or seven police officers. And they were like, nah, you need two. And then we settled on three. And finally they said, we just don't think that you'll draw that kind of support at that venue for that event. <laughs> and so internally, as a creative team and as a staff, we began to talk about it. And we were thinking, well, you know what, we'll, 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 we'll take 3,000 people and we'll consider that good. We'll take five to 6,000 people and we'll consider that an incredible miracle. If we get 7,000 people, that's like a miracle squared. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that there would be over 13,000 people to show up. What is so cool about that is that it's the fulfillment of God doing things that I cannot take credit for. It's the fulfillment of God's promise that He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, ask, or imagine. It is the promise of God that He will do things that brings Him glory so that no man can take it. God will go to work 
on your behalf. In fact, take your Bibles and I'll show you something else. Back up in chapter 1 and go to verse 3. Let me say this about Hop in the Park. I told the first service this this morning. Great crowd this morning. I truly understand and can relate to Jesus feeding the multitudes. The very thought of two fish and five loaves, I can relate to. Ours may have been 5,000 hot dogs and thousands of funnel cakes and popcorn and cotton candy, but the sea of people, we definitely needed the Lord. But I want you to see verse 3 of Ephesians 1. says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That word blessing, you, you've got to know this. That word blessing actually means that God desires to shower you with his gifts. That's what it means. It means that you, because you are his possession, he desires to grant to you favor by giving you gifts from heaven. Look what else it says in verse 4. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute before I read verse 4. You see, when he wrote this to the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus was struggling with their identity because the church at Ephesus was much like our culture today. They had just a lot of calamity that was going on and and they were wondering how they were going to actually make it as Christ followers and how they were going to journey to the destination that God wanted them to journey to. And so Paul's writing this, this note to them that says, hey, listen, it's the blessings of God and His favor upon your life that's going to enable you to overcome the situations that will come up ahead of you. Now what's cool about the next few verses is actually from verse 4 to verse 14 in the original transcript was only one verse. It was 220 words. Which tells you that it's deeply connected. Look at verse 4. It says, For He did what? He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He chose us. Let me just say this. That's a deep theological verse that we will break apart in a few minutes. But to put it simply... What Paul is saying right here is we will break the heart of God when we devalue ourselves. When you begin to say things like, I'm worthless, I don't know how I'm going to do this marriage, I'm always going to be this way, I'm always going to struggle with this problem, I'm always going to be alone, I'm always going to feel lonely, I'm always going to be depressed. When you begin to devalue yourself, you are devaluing the Word of God. You are not seeing yourself as His possession, but rather someone has stolen your identity. That someone is you. Or maybe it's someone who has said something about you and you've begun to believe that. Look at the next verse. Verse 5 begins to talk about the grace of God. It says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Verse 6, To the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one that He 
loves. You see, it is the grace of God. This is what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus. It is the grace of God that enables you to be the teacher that you need to be. It's the grace of God that enables you to be the coach that you need to be. It's the grace of God that enables you to be the soldier that you need to be. It's the grace of God that enables you to be the the marriage partner that you need to be, the husband that you need to be, the wife that you need to be, the student that you need to be, the business owner that you need to be. It is the grace of God showered down upon you that will tear, tear down labels and enable you to do the life that God has created for you to do. That's what he's telling the church at Ephesus. And then look at verse 11. You can sense that basically Paul is very concerned with the way they view themselves. Verse 11, he says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And again, verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you began to believe and you accepted Christ, you were marked in him with a brand new identity. You had the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession? I'm God's possession. I am God's possession. God will work on my behalf and He will help me conquer things that I cannot conquer in and of myself. Because I am God's possession, I am more than a conqueror. Because I am God's possession, I am victorious. Because I am God's possession, I can walk in a brand new way. Because I am God's possession, I can accomplish things that only He can help me accomplish. Wow. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. Let me show you something else. Flip with me over to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you how this looks in real life. I want to show you how God is so truly concerned with how you view yourself. In fact, this is where I'm going to ask you to stand for a couple of minutes. And we're going to read this passage together standing. Let me set this up for you because this is such a cool passage. Here is Jesus. He's having this teaching lesson, if you will, with the disciples. He has gathered around with the disciples in this one-on-twelve teaching episode. And Jesus is so awesome. I would love to be able to teach the way he teaches. And he grabs the attention of these twelve people with, with this question. I want you to see this in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Do you see that he's concerned with identity? And look what they say. They replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, let me tell you what verse 14 is. Verse 14 is a group of disciples who are trying to compliment Jesus because being in the class of Jeremiah and Elijah and John the Baptist was an incredible compliment. Can you imagine that? But Jesus didn't take their compliment to heart. Instead, he went a little deeper and he said this. But what about you in verse 15? He said, who, who, who do you say that I am? Now, can I twist this for a moment? Can you imagine the vulnerability of Jesus when he's sitting with these 12 people and he asked them, who do you say that I am? Can you imagine placing yourself in the midst of 
your peers and asking them, who do you say that I am? Can you imagine the things that they would say about you? Well, I think you are a liar. I think that you are crazy. I think that you are whatever they may say about you. I I don't know, but here's my real question. When people look at you, who do they say you are? Do they identify you with Jesus Christ? That's just a side note, but I thought it was a pretty good one. Look at the next part of the verse. Verse 16, here is Simon at this point in time. His name is Simon. Simon answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's almost as if you can visualize Simon jumping up and beginning to shout it out before anyone else could shout it out. But here's what's crazy. Simon was the most unlikely candidate to start labeling Jesus Christ. Because Simon was messed up. He had a horrible past. He was rough. He was this wishy-washy, moody fisherman. And so everybody's saying, well, who is this dude? And he's saying, you are the son of the living God. And then look what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon. Now here's where it gets good. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And then verse 18, he does a radical change for for Simon. He says, and I tell you now that you are Peter. Grab this. And on this rock, because Peter means rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, 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 grab this because I don't know if you're fully getting this picture. What he was doing is he renamed. He gave Simon a new name. He moved Simon from Simon to Peter. Peter was now his new identity. The same promise that worked for Peter 2,000 years ago, works for you today. Let me help you understand something. Do not divorce yourself from this text because you're thinking, well, this was only for Peter. Listen, God is not saying to you today that your name is Peter the Rock. He's not doing that, but God has given you a new name. You see, for some of you, you may be saying, well, I'm a drug addict, but, but Jesus is saying you don't have to be. For some of you, you're saying, I'm broken, but Jesus is saying, I can make you whole. That's your new name. For some of you, you're saying, I'm worthless, but Jesus is saying, you don't have to be. For some of you, you're saying, I'm so confused, but Jesus is saying, your new name is wisdom. You see, some of you are settling for a lesser existence. Your identity has been robbed Jesus today is saying, embrace your new identity. Because I want to take you to places that you can only go if you're walking with me. You see, when I was reading this, I wrote this down in my spiritual journal. Don't you allow anything or anyone except God to determine who you are. Because can I be honest with you, some of you, when you look in the mirror, you are seeing someone who God did not intend for you to see. When you look in the mirror, you are seeing yourself for your failures and you are discounting the work of the cross and His forgiveness. Some of you see yourselves as powerless 
when God gave Jesus so that you would have all the power that you would need to do your life. Don't allow your identity to be robbed any longer. Don't allow your marriages to be disrupted by the enemy who is trying to bombard you. Don't miss the things that God has for you. Let me pray over you and then I'm going to have you be seated. Father, I thank you for this group of people. Today, many are traveling, but these people God chose to come and worship with you. Chose to come and to be in your presence. And so, Father, today I don't want to mess your word up. I, I just want to be your mouthpiece. God, my desire is for people not to see me, but see you in me. My desire, God, is, is to step out of the way and let you have your way. And Father, there are people in this room today who need a touch from you, who need their lives resurrected in some way. And so God, I just ask you to open up heaven and begin to penetrate their hearts and speak to their lives and refresh them in ways that only you can. God, may we begin to see ourselves the way you see us. For it's in the wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, high five the person to your left and right and say to them, You are God's possession. I see that you have already been so kind to place upon you this sticker that says, Hello, my name is. That's kind of an addition, a prop, if you will, to this series where I want you to understand who you are and in Jesus. Here's what we're going to do with the next few minutes that we have. We're going to basically dissect this concept of seeing yourself the way God sees you. Understanding how you view yourself will determine the direction of your life, how that looks, what it, what it means, and all of those things. And here's what I want to do. I want to use Peter's life as a learning lab, but before we can do that, I've got to give you some commentary so that you'll better understand where we're going. Here's the very first thought that I want to give you today, and that is this. God desires to tear down the old labels in your life. In fact, if you've got your worship directory, I want you just to fill in the blank. God desires to tear down the old labels in your life. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says. I've got to show you this, and you've got to grab the heart of this. I told you we'd come back to it. It says, for he did what? Really loud. For he did what? chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. That word chose is is powerful, but the next part of that sentence is really good. It says, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. What that verse is saying to us, it's got a lot of theological ramifications, but what it is saying to us is that God knows you better than you know you. He has always known you. He knows you before you were even born. That's what this verse is saying. He knew the course of your life. He knew the direction that you would travel. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? He's not caught off guard by the circumstances in your life because He is the author and perfecter of your faith. The Bible says He knows the very end from the beginning. Now, what he is saying when he writes this to the church at Ephesus that he chose you is this. You see, the people at Ephesus were like, how could God choose us? 
We're a wicked group of people. We've made horrible mistakes and the choices are just crazy. How, how could he choose us and why would he choose us? You see, what Paul is saying to them is the power of God's forgiveness is so much greater than your past. What he is saying to the church at Ephesus is it really doesn't matter about where you've been. It matters about where you're going. You see, what he's trying to do is to get them to look at their futures under their new identity, and that is that they are God's possession. And so he's trying to encourage them to move in that direction. Now, I, I was thinking, how can I illustrate that this morning early? And here's what I, I came up with. I have married many, many of couples. I mean, a, a lot of couples. In the process, I have never, ever, ever seen an ugly bride. Ever. Aren't you thankful for that? I've never seen an ugly bride on the day of the wedding. Some of you will get that later. But on the day of her wedding, she's always fixed to the nines. She looks just beautiful. She's radiant. But you know what I was thinking? Isn't it awesome that God chose to love me and to love you while we were ugly? You see, what's beautiful to me is that my wife, who's probably in one of the nurseries down the hall today, is, is so in love with me, and she knows the good, bad, and the ugly. God is exponentially greater than that. You see, He chose you. And because He chose you, He wants to direct your life. That is what Paul is saying here. This is beautiful. You see, it doesn't matter about your past. It matters about your future. Now let me show you one other thing, and then we'll move back to Peter's life. This is something in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 2. Write that down. Isaiah 62, verse 2 says this. The nations will see your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a what? Oh, he's talking about a new identity. Because you believe in God, because you have accepted Jesus Christ, you will be called by a new name. And I love the next part. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow upon you. When you receive this new identity in Christ and you begin to live it, it's because He's pronounced it over you. That's what Paul is saying to the people at Ephesus. Now let me take you back to Peter's life now that you understand this, that we are chosen. Peter was chosen. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is really cool. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, let me just say this about this statement. I want to take you to the scene that day so that you can fully experience this. When Jesus said this, I can imagine that the disciples who were there at the moment that he said, you are now Peter, you're the rock, I would imagine that their necks began to jerk. Because they knew Peter. They had already labeled Peter. And they were like, hold on a second. How can he be called the rock? There is nothing about his life that is stable. How can he be called the rock when he's moody? He's mean? He's rough? He's violent? He's wishy-washy. Does Jesus even know who he's talking to? He's not Peter. He's not a rock. He's quicksand. He changes with the wind. Have you ever met someone like that? 
That's what's going on here. And Jesus says, hey, you're Peter. You're now Peter. You're no longer Simon. You're, you're Peter. And I can also think that Peter was probably thinking, me? Do, Jesus, do, do you even know me? Do you know how messed up and how checkered my past is? It, it, it's screwed up. Jesus, you cannot be serious about this. In fact, the other night I was at Hop in the Park and I saw a guy that I know, a friend of mine, and I was telling him, I said, man, you've got to get back in church. You've got to let the Lord work in your life. And he looked at me as genuine as he could and he said, I, I just don't know if God even knows me. I just don't even know if, if I'm worthy. My life is so messed up. I, I, don't, I, I don't even know if I should be in church. I, I, I'm afraid the place would burn down. And I looked at him and I said, can I tell you something? God and his forgiveness can overcome any and everything you've ever done. It gets rid of your past because God is deeply concerned about your future. See, he said to Peter, he said, Peter, you're the rock. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. When he said, Peter, when he said, Simon, you are now Peter, you're the rock, there was not this rock formation that took over in Peter's life at that moment. I mean, he gave him a new name, he gave him a new identity, but, but it didn't happen instantaneously. I want you to think about this. At the moment that Jesus pronounced to Peter that you are the rock, he didn't all of a sudden become perfect. Jesus didn't give him the title rock thinking that he would be this, this persona of perfection. In fact, if you study the life of Peter, you can find out that Peter, after this declaration, after this pronouncement, he made a mess of things. In fact, Peter, he did stuff like this when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's sweating droplets of blood because he knows that he's about to be crucified and he comes up to Peter. Jesus says, Peter, I need you to pray with me. And Peter, you know what he does? He falls asleep. That's not a rock. And then all of a sudden, the, the soldiers, they come down to, to get Jesus. And you know what Peter does? He pulls out a sword and he cuts off this dude's ear. That's not a rock. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me one day. And, and Peter's like, I'll never deny you. Everybody else may flee and everybody else will leave you, but I will never deny you. When they arrested Jesus and were about to crucify him, people came running up to Peter saying, Peter, aren't you the, the dude that hung out with Jesus? And he was like, don't know him. Never heard of him. He didn't do that one time. He didn't do that two times. He did that three times. But here's what's cool about Peter. He wasn't the rock yet. That was just his new identity. He was growing into it. Because grab this, on the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection, God chose Peter to be his mouthpiece. And when Peter opened up his mouth, the Bible said that several thousand people gave their hearts to Christ that day. He was becoming the rock. Why? Because he had experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. In fact, history even tells us that Peter, later upon his death, he chose not to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. Instead, he wanted to be crucified upside down. Why? Because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. Think about this with me for a moment. Peter has gone from being this wishy-washy quicksand to now being the rock. 
He has fully embraced the identity that God has for him. And when I began to really think about and ponder this thought, I wrote this down and and I want to share it again with you. And that is this. God has the ability to tear down those labels of weakness and replace them with labels of strength. Think about this with me. This is so cool because this is good. Peter's weakness was that he was wishy-washy. But God turned it and made his strength the rock. Can I be honest with you for a moment? Many of you are like Peter. You're struggling with your identity. You're just wondering where God is in all the chaos of your life. You're wondering who you are. You're wondering who you are in your marriage, who you are in your relationships. You're wondering who you are as a parent. You're wondering about all of these things and you're so focused upon things that that you don't have when you need to be focused on who you do have. I'm going to get all up in your business for a minute. Some of you are walking around saying things that are bringing death over your life. The Bible says that your tongue has the power of both life and death. Many of you are pronouncing death over everything in your life and you're wondering why things are not going your way. It's because you're saying things that are devaluing you in the eyes of God. You see, Peter did not become Peter. Until he allowed God to have full access to his life. And God moved him from Simon to Peter. You will not become all that God wants you to be until you give God full access to your life. Until you stop proclaiming the limitations of your abilities and you begin to praise his limitless abilities. Let me just be more honest with you. Some of you are walking around, you're saying things like, I can't do this and I can't do that. and I'm always going to be just this person who's worthless. I'm never going to be all that I need to be. I'm always going to have problems with that one person. You're pronouncing those things over your life when you need to stop and you need to begin to declare the promises of God over your life. Things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. If my God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that I think, ask, or imagine. Why? Because I am God's possession. Can I tell you something? Matthew chapter 16 is, theologically, the title for Matthew chapter 16 is an assurance. It's a promise of assurance. Peter was not Peter at the time that he proclaimed him to be. He he was still Simon on the inside. He hadn't fully migrated and grown into being Peter yet. He was still wishy-washy, but he was on his journey to being the rock. You see, the same promise of assurance that he gave to Peter, he's giving to you. In fact, I want to show you something very interesting that I think you need to see. Look back with me. I think it's in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 13. Ephesians 1, 13 says this, and, and you'll love this. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Do you see that word seal? Let me tell you what that is. That's, that's a cool word. The word seal is spragizo in the original Greek. That word actually means that you are very important. 
You've been marked with a seal. You are very important. Now let me explain that. In New Testament days, the way that they would ship or send a, a note or a letter or something of value is the sender would actually take hot wax and he would melt it over the flap of the envelope. Once he melted it over the flap of the envelope, he would take his, his insignia and he would press it into it. When people saw this seal on the envelope, they recognized the insignia to be a person of great power or a person of great wealth. And when they saw the insignia, they also knew that what was on the inside of that package was impeccable. The seal verified what was inside the package. Here's what's cool. It also meant that when that, that item was sealed with an insignia, that it had to make it to its destination. If someone else saw it and was delivering it, they knew that it had to make it to its destination. Because what was inside was affirmed. It was endorsed. It was the real thing. Paul is saying, you've been sealed. Grab this. You've been sealed. What does that mean? That means that God has chose you. He's affirmed you. He's endorsed you. He's with you. He's going to help you. He's going to make sure that you make it to your destination. The destination that He intended for you to make it to. Why? Because you are God's possession. You see, Peter had to grow into it. It didn't happen overnight. You need to understand that Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will help you grow into your new name. You see, some of you are struggling with the names of the past. Maybe today you're riddled with guilt, but your new name is forgiven. Some of you have pain in your life, but your new name is healed. Some of you are struggling in your marriage and your marriage is on the rocks, but your new name is restoration. Some of you are struggling with insecurity, but your new name is confidence. Some of you are struggling with being a parent, but your new name is a godly mom. Some of you are struggling with who God is in your life, but God today is saying, I'll make sure that you make it to it if you'll give your whole heart to me. Why? Because you are my possession and I will grow you into your new name. Somebody ought to praise the Lord up in this place today. I am God's possession. Say that with me. I am God's possession. And I am valuable. Here's my last point as I close. It's really the power of the resurrection that ultimately brings about our new identity. Can I show you one more thing? This is something that I added this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. It says, in Him we have redemption. I want you to see this. Through His blood by His blood that we've been saved. The forgiveness of sins. How many of you are thankful for second chances? That comes to us 
because of his grace. You see, Paul and he's pointing the church at Ephesus back to the cross. The theme behind this seeing yourself the way God sees you is contingent upon the work of the cross. See, Jesus was wrongly accused of a crime that was unheard of. The crime was, he was perfect. All he did was love on people, help people, change their lives, speak the truth. Yet he was arrested. He was placed on trial. He didn't say a word. A crowd that at one time would follow him through the streets and cry out, Messiah, heal us now has the opportunity to set him free, but they choose to set a murderer free. With shouts of crucify him. He stood trial. He was sentenced to death. He was stripped of his clothes. He was placed on a whipping post. And then they took a cat of nine tails, which are leather straps that are dipped in tar and then dipped in glass or bone or rock. They whipped him 39 times. Simply because they believed that number 40 would kill him. His flesh was ripped open. The Roman soldiers placed a robe over his face would take rings place them on their fingers and they would take opportunities to punch him in the face with everything they had and then say prophesy as to who hit you totally unrecognizable they placed a crown of thorns upon his head calling in the king of the Jews thorns poisonous and therefore his brow swelled to where he was even more unrecognizable then they made him carry his cross to the place called the skull a journey that even the healthy person who was not injured probably could not make they placed him on a cross naked They hammered the nails into his hands and his feet. The most valuable thing that God had in heaven when he saw the need of humanity was his son. But yet, by giving his son, he said, you're more valuable. They lifted him up on the cross. The cross fell into the ground. The weight of his body ripping his flesh even more. 
He died and all of creation cried out. The sky grew dark. The earth shook. Announcing how valuable He is. But yet God said, you're more valuable. They placed Him in a grave. Three days later, He arose. It was upon His resurrection that Peter actually became Peter. It was upon that day that the resurrection resurrected something in Peter. Where Peter no longer saw himself as Simon, the guy who was rough and crude and coarse and and moody and wishy-washy, but now he saw himself with a new identity. See, the resurrection will give you a new identity. Jesus stretched open his arms on a cross to bridge the gap between heaven and earth so that you would have the possibility of eternal life. But he also did it so that you would understand the value of who you are. And he wants you to recognize that he can resurrect your marriages because some of you are in this place and you're at your wit's end. And last night you probably placed your head on the pillow thinking, do I even want to wake up beside of this person the next morning? Some of you are confused about your future and you've allowed yourself to take on an identity that God never intended. Some of you are battling with a drug addiction and today God wants to do something new in you. He wants to give you a brand new name. God wants to turn your brokenness into wholeness and today through the power of the resurrection He wants to grant to you a brand new identity. Because I am God's possession. You are God's possession. Stand to your feet. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.